0: Our second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John in the third chapter, the 16th verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I'm up here this morning. Uh, I'm not quite as tall as Derek, and so I'm trying things out up here this morning so I can see all of you, and you can see me, just so you know. Will you join me in prayer? Loving God, silence all of our hearts and our minds that we might hear you speaking a word to us. Clear everything else away that we might know that it is you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for any younger listeners who might still be in the room, I have three things for you all to be listening for. The first, what makes Mrs. Rogers great? The second, how many times do I say justice or injustice? And the third is that I would love to see a picture or hear about what you think the kingdom of God might look like. So three things for our younger listeners. Well, this August, my son, my older son, started first grade at Boulevard Elementary School in Cleveland Heights. I'm on drop-off duty in the morning. And so most days, I walk back to my car after the bell has rung with tears in my eyes. Don't worry, they're happy tears. you might call me a sap, and you would totally be right, because I so often have tears in my eyes about the beauty of the world. See, every morning, as children flock to school, Mrs. Rogers, a secretary and lunch supervisor, and the one in charge of handing out tardy slips, is standing at the front door. She greets every child she sees by name. Every child by name. And it's not just that. She asks how their weekends were. She notices when children are back from having been homesick and welcomes them. She asks about how their mom or their older brother might be doing. If it looks like a child is having a bad day, she'll go and talk quietly with that child and lets them know that someone sees them and hopes that their day can turn around. She invites each kid to go and get breakfast Free breakfast and free lunch are provided for every student who wants or needs it at Boulevard, and so she always makes the invitation. She also sometimes blows her whistle to get the attention of kids who are acting out of turn, but even then, you can tell that she's blowing that whistle out of love and not out of anger. You know what it sounds like when someone blows a whistle out of anger, and that is not the noise that she makes. She does also sometimes tell children that they're going to have to give up five minutes of recess or more if they continue not to listen to her. But she's never once sounded angry, frightening, condescending, or any of those other things you might associate with a person with her titles. Every day I watch as she loves all the children who come from north and south, from east and west, and gather at this school. And I walk away feeling that I have seen a glimpse of the kingdom. God's kingdom, as we also call it to be more gender inclusive, is a place where people are gathered from all over, old and young, rich and poor, hungry and fed, with every beautiful skin tone, and where there is a love in the air that is tangible as God invites us all into the grace filled feast that has been prepared. I've started thinking more about this kingdom, not as a utopia of peacefulness, but as a rowdy place filled with laughter and movement and greetings from across the playground, friends being reunited after a long weekend, cousins giving each other a hug as they walk by, older siblings making sure their younger siblings get to where they need to go, and good mornings all around. I have no illusion that everyone feels this warm, fuzzy feeling about coming to school or that it lasts all day. That's why it's a glimpse, a momentary snapshot of how I think God calls us to be in relationship with one another. Today we're starting a five-week series on faith and politics, and over these next few weeks we'll be looking at what it means to be a person of faith and interact with the world, a world that is full of divisiveness, need, competing interests, and struggle, a world that's full of beauty and in which Jesus calls us to live in in a way that we are united through him. This is no small task. In fact, I would argue that most sermons ever preached have the possibility of engaging this topic. I say that because as Christians, we are called to live a holistic life. We often fall into this trap of thinking that our relationship to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is one of a quieter reflection and introspection We tend to think of faith consciously or subconsciously as a thing we do by ourselves or at church or maybe in the world, but definitely with other church people. It's personal. And then when we think of ourselves professionally or as we think about our civic duties or our persona in the world, that often ends up feeling like a very different part of us. As though we're different people depending on the moment, the place, the topic, rather than being one whole person who is involved in different aspects of the world and has a particular worldview and frame of reference created by all the experiences and beliefs that we hold. As I reflect on this, I want to voice that this is not the way people in all cultures experience themselves. I'm speaking as a white Protestant person in this country who is a part of a white culture which has conditioned much of how everyone in this country learns to relate with one another. People like me can unknowingly have this sense that we don't need to mix these aspects of our lives together or we've been taught explicitly not to. It's not the right thing to do to talk about Jesus outside of the church or to talk about politics at the dining room table. And so while not everyone in the room this morning falls into this dichotomous trap, I think it's still a good one to notice and to think about collectively. Because we can't help transform the world if we don't get to talking. And we can only transform the world if we listen to each other and learn from one another. My goal this morning is to set up a communal framework for this series and more broadly for our everyday lives well beyond this five-week series, a framework that grounds us in thinking of ourselves holistically and with the goal of living in a way that answers Jesus' call to live in God's kingdom here on earth. So we turn first to the prophet Jeremiah to help us think more deeply about this. Jeremiah lived through some of the most overwhelming and disastrous events of the kingdom of Judah's history. He was witness to Assyrian control and decline. He was witness to a brief period of hope for recovery and then to oppressive Babylonian control. The events he witnessed in the time period that he lived through had deep and devastating effects on both the political as well as religious and spiritual nature of the people. In this section of the book, Jeremiah is directly addressing kings, those who have the most power and decision-making capabilities. As scholar Patrick Miller says, Jeremiah's view of kingship here assumes and builds upon the responsibility of the king for the maintenance of justice and order in a community, a responsibility that often seemed to get lost in the shuffle of military endeavors, political maneuverings, and economic aggrandizement. The verses that we read this morning reiterate Jeremiah is demanding of the king to not let these other things get in the way, but to carry out the justice which is needed. Miller goes on to say that Jeremiah provides a threat of judgment and a word of warning to the kings not to be agents of oppression against the marginal, the powerless, the poor of the land. The problem is not simply inactivity, lassitude before rampant injustice, but the complicity of the king in deeds of injustice and violence. But friends, Jeremiah isn't just talking to the king here. We heard him. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, sitting on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Everyone who goes in and out of the palace, everyone who is a part of the royal entourage of the court is being addressed in this warning. All the leaders, all the rulers of any system are being called to the carpet on this one. Jeremiah's word from God is that justice has to do with the way a person or a system treats those who are on the margins, those who are weak or poor or other. And woe. Woe to the one who is found lacking in creating and promoting this justice. Sounds familiar, does it not? Perhaps a little too close to home? Whether we individually are rulers or leaders, we are complicit in systems that promote injustice by pushing people to the margins rather than bringing them into the fold. This is why we need to live holistic lives. We cannot say that we profess Christ on Sunday mornings and not speak out against the injustice that happens in the social realm, the political realm, and everywhere else on Sunday afternoon and every day after. We cannot claim to serve the God that so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life and then go around acting as if we are the only ones in the world meant to hear that message. That is not what the kingdom looks like. In God's frame of reference, there is no separation between the social and the spiritual. Jeremiah makes clear that to follow God, which is what we're all trying to do, right? That's why I came this morning. To follow God means to respond to the world in ways that maintain justice for those who have been neglected, shamed, oppressed, squashed. To do that, to participate in systems of justice, means that we have to talk about all the issues that are before us and to figure out together how to move forward in faith and justness. That's not just the job of the politicians we elect. That's our job, too. This sermon series is not about me or Pastor Derek telling you who to vote for. That is not going to happen. And it's not about trying to manufacture a kumbaya moment where we suddenly realize we're all the same and there's no conflict among us because we all follow Jesus. That's not realistic. This series is to remind us all of the ways God calls us into being and that every decision we make, every vote we cast, every conversation we have or are too embarrassed to have... Can bring us another step closer to God's kingdom here on earth. Or it can push us further from the vision. We cannot separate social and spiritual because the God who made us in God's image doesn't do that. God sent prophets to speak God's word to people who needed to hear that God cared and continues to care about justice, about the alien, the orphan, and the widow. God so loved the world that God took on flesh and lived among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who preached good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free, and also taught us how to pray. Oh yeah, and he also, you know, turned over the tables in the temple of the the tax collectors in a kind of a big scene. So no separation of social and spiritual there. What I'm proposing here, that we each figure out how to join our social and spiritual sides into one unified whole, isn't easy. And I'm not going to pretend that it is. I'm not going to pretend it's easy to figure out how to talk to each other about any number of issues, especially with people we know are coming from a different frame of reference or a different age or a different political party or different social strata. If I had a formula for how to do that, I could write a book and go on the talk show circuit and make millions, but that is clearly not what I am in for. All I know is that we have to keep showing up with one another, keep studying God's word together, keep praying together, keep trying to follow the Spirit's guidance together, and in all of that, not avoid hard conversations. It's not always going to be pretty But how amazing would it be if by being persistent in all of these things, we started to live into an even deeper form of community that could model for others how to interact with respect and love above all else, how to work together across aisles and genders and skin tones and pay scales to disrupt systems full of injustice. What if we could call each other by name, care about each other's lives, and speak to each other in a truthful manner that never communicated hate or anger or condescension? What if we listened to each other for understanding, not just to figure how to counter with a better point? What if, when we blew the whistle on injustice, it was clear that we were doing it in love and not with hatred? What if we confessed when we were wrong or too embarrassed to ask a question or didn't know what to say? What if we really welcomed each other around the table, the communion table, and our Thanksgiving tables? We have the decision making ability to try. It's within us, because we follow a God who created us in love, who cares for the whole world. We worship a God who shows up and speaks a word that is often difficult to hear, but also doesn't abandon us. We profess a God who could not be held down by death, but who rose to new life. Our transformation is possible The transformation of this country is possible. The transformation of the world is possible. But we have to decide to be committed to it and to each other, come whatever may. And we have to be very clear that we don't go looking for transformation alone. The triune God, three in one, walks with us on that path. Friends, this is not easy work that we have been called to. If we're really committed to the vision of justice that is laid out in Jeremiah and by other prophets, and if we're committed to Jesus' words of loving neighbor as self and putting the last among us first, it's going to take stamina. It's going to take patience, grace, and humility. We're going to need all of the energy we can muster to walk the road in this way. And yes, we're going to need some naps and times of quiet reflection, but it seems to me that there is no easy way around helping to create the vision of the kingdom. So instead of complaining about it or putting it off or waiting for someone else to do the hard work, let's walk toward it together. Friends, let's get going. Alleluia and amen.